Well, good evening to you all. My name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reform. It is so good to have you uh, with us uh, this evening. We have been preaching through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And if you'll notice tonight, we had a few questions, questions 32 and 33. And, uh, and tonight, uh, we're going to be diving into just really uh, one of those questions in particular. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll look at two other topics that were unfolded in question 32. So those topics in order would be justification, adoption, and sanctification. And tonight, we'll be looking at the topic, really, of justification. Uh, but we're not going to come up here and just talk doctrine and theology. Uh, we're going to come up here and take a look at the scriptures together and see what they have to say. So I hope to paint a picture uh, for you all tonight about uh, just how gracious our Lord is in our justification. Uh, if you would uh, turn your attention now to God's Word, uh, we'll be reading from... Genesis chapter 27. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. If not, it's on page 6 in your bulletin. And as is our custom, uh, after reading God's word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you can respond with, thanks be to God. Now, we have a long text tonight. I'm just going to read the first four verses. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. If you can respond with, thanks be to God. And then we'll move through the rest together. Okay, We'll let the narrative unfold as we go. So hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 1. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his older brother, or his, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul, my soul may bless you before I die. This is the word of the Lord. Well, who here has ever seen the movie Trading Places. It's an old classic. I see a few laughs. Uh, 1983, uh, give or take. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, yes, the two leading characters, and they, and they, and they trade places. And this, in my estimation, was kind of the first, uh, maybe not completely the first, but uh, the first very well-known one in a wave of movies in the 80s where people traded places. Uh, here are a few other names uh, for you. Um, uh, we'll go blast to the past here, and I apologize for the youngest out there, uh, but you can look these up uh, online, or even as we're preaching. Uh, like father, like son. Ring a bell? Pretty bad one. Right. Dudley Moore, Kirk Cameron. Right. Uh, vice versa. Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage. Like from the Wonder Years. I mean, the Fred Savage, like John's size, Fred Savage, okay? Where they would uh, trade places. Of course, you could go back in time a little bit, um, uh, forwards or backwards, and uh, into the, the movie Freaky Friday. Uh, you could think of The Parent Trap, it was one of my sister's favorites growing up. I've watched it way too many times, where those twins trade places and a plot to get their parents back together. Uh, so, in all these movies, they have something in common. People were trading places. And, and perhaps uh, we could trace them all back to Mark Twain's 
uh, the prince and the pauper. Uh, But like uh, any good movie, uh, it usually comes from a book. And so even the ones, right? So there's, there's my, you got my opinion on that one already. Um, uh, like any good movie, it usually starts in a book. And, and lots of movies you'll find, even if they didn't start from a book, have biblical themes in them. And this idea of trading places is something we find in Scripture. And it's something we're going to see tonight. And so we want to let this narrative unfold together as we see Jacob and Esau here trade places. In those first four verses that we read tonight, uh, we see Isaac's plan to bless Esau. It's unfolding before our very eyes. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, the text is telling us he's blind. And then the text goes on and says, he, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Isaac is advanced in years at this point. He can't see. He's sensing he is closer to death, and he is desiring to bless his oldest son. Is it weird to you that they're twins, but there's an oldest son? It might be weird to you. Are there any twins in here? It might be weird to you, you're not a twin, put your hand up. It might be weird to you that twins would refer to themselves as the oldest and the youngest, but I've asked that question of lots of sets of twins, and and usually they know. Okay, so to us, it doesn't, if you're not a twin, you're like, what do you mean? You were born like three minutes apart, what are you talking about? Or five minutes, or ten minutes, or however long, but ask a set of twins, right? And they generally know who's older, right? So Esau is the older of the two, and if you're familiar with the story, you know that he's the favorite son. If you're familiar with the story, you know that he likes a good bowl of soup, right? He loves delicious food, and perhaps there's some irony in there, because now he's his father's favorite son, who also seems to like a nice, tasty dish. But so far, the text is rather normal. Okay, here's Isaac, getting up there in years, can't really see, thinks he might be going the way of the earth, and so he wants to call his oldest son to bless him. Well, let's fast forward, let's continue in the story. Some of you know that his wife, Rebecca, has some other plans, and she has some plans. To the contrary, let's read about those plans, starting in verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, 
Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Well, Esau was Isaac's favorite. Guess who was Rebecca's favorite? You guessed it, Jacob. Uh, Jacob was clearly her favorite, and she had a desire, a strong desire, as you can tell, to see Jacob receive this blessing. Now, why did she have such a strong desire for Jacob to see uh, this blessing, for Jacob to receive this blessing? Was it just because Jacob was her favorite? Well, I put on your outlines there in the additional scriptures a word that was spoken years before. Uh, I think we would uh, see... um, Uh, that this was many years before. And so as these two children were in her womb and wrestling, this word came from the Lord in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, that's Rebecca, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So the Lord had already told Rebekah who was to receive this blessing. And so perhaps Rebekah just wanted to see that come to pass. But she took a page out of Machiavelli's book, and the end justified the means. Lots and lots of deception uh, going on here. And, and Jacob knew it, right? He might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so he started asking some questions to her, like, Wow, how, how, you know, in a nutshell, how are we going to pull this off? Okay, um, I, I'm going to get caught, right? And if I get caught, right, this isn't going to come out to be a blessing for me. Dad's going to curse me. Like my, he's hairy, right? I'm, I'm smooth. He's the hunter, the bigger, stronger one. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the smaller one. This, this is not going to go well, Mom. Is what he's uh, saying, right? Uh, and thinking, but Rebecca plans everything to a T. She's got an answer for everything. She even gets Esau's best garments. I want to put you in your brother's very best clothes. So all the preparations are made. And Jacob goes in. Jacob goes to his father, Isaac, and Jacob trades places with Esau. We see that in verses 18. Through 29, so he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it? So quickly, my son. He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. 
Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Well, Isaac's old. He's blind. But he's not completely gullible. He's suspicious from the very start here. He's suspicious with good reason. How did you get back here so quickly? Now granted, a good amount of time had passed. They had to get the goats even under this plan and, and kill them and cook them and prepare them. So a good amount of time had passed, but sure doesn't seem enough to go out and hunt all the game and then do all that. And the voice, the voice just doesn't sound right. You would assume, I don't know, maybe Esau had the deeper voice. He's the bigger guy. Right? He's the stronger guy. Maybe he has the bigger, deeper voice. But nonetheless, Isaac, he eats, he drinks. He's still a little suspicious, though. So he asks him to come near. He wants to take one last smell. Right? Is this really my son? But when he smells him, it appears to erase all doubts. So what does he do? But he blesses him. He gives Jacob the blessing that he intended for Esau. Jacob pulled it off. Pulled the wool over the old man's eyes. Now, I don't know how far away Rebecca was, but if she was with an earshot, she was dancing. She was as happy as could be. This is exactly what she wanted to see happen. So Jacob's happy. And Rebecca, if she knows of it, she's certainly very happy. What about Esau? Let's pick up in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting 
He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you go restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau's cry is an exceedingly bitter one. But there was only one blessing to give. Isn't that interesting? Do you think of a blessing that way? As something that tangible? But this blessing that was to be given could only be given to one person. And despite all the treachery and trickery and deceitfulness, the blessing had gone out. It could not be retracted. Esau Esau will serve Jacob. The older will serve the younger. This prophecy from 40 plus years ago has been fulfilled. Esau is not happy. His reaction continues. Let's pick up in verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. 
But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebecca sees it clearly. Jacob has no choice now but to flee. So she sends her favorite son away. The bitter rivalry has begun, and Esau says, when the old man dies, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to wait out of respect for the old man. But when he dies, guess who else is going to die? And, and, and mom says, I can't afford to lose them both. Because that would be like losing them both. And if you come to Grill the Preacher, I'll tell you an amazing and profound true story of something along those lines. Rebecca sure is misses in the right place at the right time, is she not? Does anything get by this woman? You wouldn't want her as your mom. You'd get away with nothing in this household. She's everywhere all the time. She just knows Everything, so it seems. So she sends him to Laban in Haran, where, continue reading the story. I mean, Jacob's a little tricky, isn't he? You know what his name means. Yeah. I think he got it from his mom. She seems a little tricky. He should have seen this one coming when he goes to Laban, right? This runs in the family. It actually runs in all of our families, if we're truthful, but some more than others. Something more than others, perhaps. This pattern of deceits and trickery. So she can't lose them both. She can't bear to, so she sends him away. What, what a story. Filled with blessings and curses. Filled with deceit and treachery. Filled with a sibling rivalry. Not to mention, perhaps, Isaac and Rebecca wanting different things for their children. Filled with fulfilled prophecy from 40 years prior. But it sure leaves a lot of questions, doesn't it? What are we supposed to make of this text? And here's our first one. I mean, we've met these four people. Who's the righteous one of these four? Who's the righteous person amongst these four in this family? After all, promises were given to Isaac's father, Abraham, right? Land and seed and Right, that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing to all the nations. Surely it's got to be playing out with one of them, is it not? Well, let's, 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 let's take a look. Is it Esau? You can't help but feel a little bad for the guy, right? I feel a little bad for him. But you also can't help but notice he has a bit of a temper. He's quick to rage. He's ruled by his stomach. What about Jacob? 
Is he just following his mom's instructions? Is he being a good, faithful son? Is it really all Rebecca's fault and, and he is the righteous one? Well, she did send him in there, no doubt. Uh, but he, he lied at least two times to his father, directly and explicitly, not to mention that the entire thing was a lie. So I guess it's not Jacob either. What about Rebecca? I mean, she's the mastermind behind this entire plot and plan. Well, she seems just as full of deceit as anyone in this story. Is she just really trying to accomplish God's will? Is that her plan and purpose? She knew this prophecy, and so, well, again, she chose poor means. So it must be Isaac, right? Isaac must be the righteous one. It must be this, this old guy. Right? We're really supposed to feel bad for this old guy. This really old guy who's pretty much on his deathbed, can't even see, and they pulled the okie doke on him. I mean, they just, they just tricked him. Right? They tricked him. We're supposed to feel bad for Isaac. Well, you could. You could read the text that way, but I'd say not so fast. You would think that in the 20-some years since that prophecy, perhaps Rebecca had shared that with her husband. No. Most commentators seem to think that, yeah, he would have known the prophecy. He would have known that the older was going to serve the younger. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get his will. He's trying to get his way. Notice there was no like, I'm going to call the whole family together, right? So that we can bless the firstborn in front of Jacob. And so that mom knows all about this. No, that's not the way it plays out. We see not a righteous person amongst all four, the very children of Abraham. They all seem to be just as sneaky. Isaac is ruled by his stomach just as much as his son. No one's righteous. And if you follow the story of the Bible forward, you'll see that again and again and again. No one is righteous. No not one. So the question with regard to justification then, this being declared righteous before God, as we learned about in our catechism question, is, is how can anyone be justified before God? If this is what we're really all like in our brokenness and our sinfulness and the way we hurt each other and the way we treat each other, let alone the worship we don't give to God, how can anyone be declared righteous in God's sight? Well, here's the bad news. On our own. We can't. On our own, we simply can not. It's an utter impossibility. In all our brokenness, in all our sin, we can't get right with God. But it does not follow that what we can't do for ourselves, God cannot do for us. You see, what we cannot do for ourselves, the very thing we can't do, God can do for us. And not only can do, but He does do for us. God gets us right with Him by taking our place. God gets us right with Him, reconciles us to Himself 
by trading places with us. By sending his son to leave eternity in heaven. To take on human flesh. To live the perfectly righteous life that you and I are called to live. And then to die the death that we deserve. This is imputation. Or double imputation. It's an exchange. It's the great exchange as they call it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the best deal ever. I mean if I had a a million dollars in my wallet right now. And you actually believed me. One, you're way worse than Isaac. <clears throat> but two, if it was true and you believed me, would you trade me? Oh, you better believe it. That'd be quite a deal, would it not? Now, if any of you have that, I'm willing to trade you right, for illustration purposes. We can come make the transaction, but it would be the best deal ever. This is what Christ taking all of our sins and giving us all of his righteousness is. It's a great exchange. It's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism 33 is exactly teaching us. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. It's what Romans chapter 3 verse 22 teaches which we read in our confession for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's what Romans 3.26 teaches us which was our assurance of pardon that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So my question for you is whose clothes are you wearing tonight? Whose clothes are you wearing tonight? What Pastor Matt preached about this morning and what we see uh, in our inside reflection is from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This was the promise that pointed forward to what the Lord Jesus Christ would do. And perhaps there's even a picture of this in our text today. Even in Genesis chapter 27. I'm not reading this allegorically here, but let's just stop and think. Jacob, the younger son, comes to his father in Esau's clothes. 
and he receives a blessing. The younger son comes to a father in the older brother's clothes and he receives a blessing. The text even goes out of the way to call him the firstborn, which is something we see often in the New Testament referring to Christ. So not not reading it allegorically, but perhaps there is a picture there. And if the picture's not there, the reality is just as beautiful. That we come to our Heavenly Father clothed in the righteous robes of our Lord Jesus Christ. All our iniquity atoned for, all of our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That is what is being offered to you tonight if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you acknowledged your need for Christ to trade places with you? If not, I think it's time to go shopping. I think you need a new pair of clothes. Our Lord taught one of the simplest parables in the New Testament about justification. Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Seven simple words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all it takes for God to justify you, to declare you righteous in His sight based off the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never prayed that prayer, would you consider? Would you come discuss it tonight? If you have, if Christ is yours, then know that when God sees you, He sees Christ. I'm not going to go too far on that because we have adoption and sanctification to talk about in the next two weeks. And I don't want to steal other people's thunder. But when God, the Father, draws you near, And he smells you. He smells the aroma of Christ. What can we do but rejoice? Rejoice that Christ has traded places with us.